Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thanks, Tim. Uh, it's great to be with all of you guys. Uh, as Tim said, we uh, moved here to Amsterdam uh, nearly six years ago now to plant uh, Liberty Church. We've been on a great journey here. And uh, you guys in Manchester have been a real uh, inspiration to us, um, obviously through Tim, but also through uh, uh, Colin and uh, others I've managed to meet at uh, CCM and just hearing some of your story and your pioneering risk-taking zeal uh just been a huge uh, inspiration to us and has really helped us so well done keep going for it keep going for it guys um this evening i'm going to talk from um proverbs 16 one verse from proverbs 16 uh, about pride now i'm talking about pride that doesn't have any connection to what i've just said about your church it's not that i think you you guys uh, you've got a bit too big for your boots i need to bring you down a peg or two that's not well Maybe that's true. We'll find out. But uh, I just felt led to this passage this evening. So we're going to talk from uh, Proverbs 16 and also use the story of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 just to help us look at this issue of pride together. So I'm just going to read this one verse and then I'm going to pray. Uh, it says this, Proverbs 16 says, Pride, uh, this is verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let me pray quickly. Jesus, we thank you so much that uh, even in this unusual way of doing church, we thank you that you're with us. That uh, right across the city of Manchester, here in Amsterdam, uh, wherever else anyone else is tuning in from on Zoom or Facebook, we thank you you're with us. That you are a God who dwells amongst your people. And you sent your Holy Spirit to minister to us even this evening. So I pray that you'd uh, make this word come alive in our hearts. You'd speak to us tonight. Amen. If you, uh, if you ever come to Amsterdam, if you, uh, the first thing you'd probably do would land at the airport. You'd get the train to Central Station. Then from the back of Central Station in the middle of Amsterdam, you can get a ferry. And you can head out to a place called the NDSM Wharf, which is a kind of arty, creative part of the city. And if you get off the ferry and you walk straight ahead, there's going to be a massive mural, a piece of street art in front of you, which I think is something like 240 square meters. It's huge on the size of this big warehouse. And it's a picture of Anne Frank, who was the, uh, a Jewish teenager who in the Second World War went into hiding in Amsterdam and sadly was found by the Nazis and died in a concentration camp and, and wrote a diary, which is now gone famous all around the world. And there's a quote from her diary uh, with her picture on this big piece of street art where she simply says, let me be myself. Um, which in reality, if you read her diary, was just her ranting against her mother. But this phrase, let me be myself, really sums up the spirit of Amsterdam uh, and probably the spirit of many Western cities and societies. I'm sure it's probably true for Manchester as well that we, uh, people come to Amsterdam to be themselves, to realize their dreams, their potential 
It's driven by this individualism which pervades our society. And really individualism is just, essentially it's the idolatry of self, that we pursue self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction. Uh, even the, the actress Emma Watson last year was talking about her being self-partnered, that she didn't need another partner, she was just partnered to herself. That's the way we increasingly think in the world around us. And what happens in Daniel chapter four, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of this great Babylonian empire. And he has a dream in Daniel chapter four, and he dreams of this tree that's planted and grows into this massive cosmic tree. But the tree, we don't have time to go into the whole story, but the tree in this story represents himself. It represents him represents what he's become and represents his pride and in many ways it's very similar to what's happened in our cities and societies that the we've planted this seed of individualism and it's grown into this tree of the idolatry of self but on this tree of self Perhaps the main fruit that you find there, the main result of individualism, the main result of the idolatry of self is pride. Pride. And in Daniel chapter 4, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar calls on Daniel to interpret this dream to him, which a similar thing had happened, if you know the book of Daniel, it happened in Daniel chapter 2 as well. And Daniel warns King Nebuchadnezzar but even though Nebuchadnezzar knows that Daniel has a track record, because we've read about that in Daniel chapter 2, the king ignores him. And then what happens in the rest of the story is we see his pride play out. We see the results of his pride. And the first thing we see is we see the pride before the fall, what happens in his heart before this fall takes place in his life, which we'll get on to. And with King Nebuchadnezzar, you see very much a, a puffed up, pride He's, he comes across a bit like the bully at school who's stolen everybody's dinner money who's or is the best football player on the team or is the obnoxious older brother hint hint but and we read this in verse 29 and verse 30 of daniel 4 we read what happens after daniel has uh, interpreted this dream it says this at the end of 12 months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar is up on the roof of his palace. He's looking down on this city, perhaps one of the, uh, the kind of center points, the most dynamic perhaps probably the biggest city in the world at that time. And he takes great immense pride in what he's built, this mighty kingdom that he's brought into being. He has this puffed up pride. And what that kind of pride does is it, it looks down. The same way he's up on the roof of his palace looking down on this city. Pride in our lives will do the same thing. It will look down. C.S. Lewis said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride 
very simply looks down. Looks we, from our lofty position. We look down on everything else. We look down on all the successes on our life. We look down at all the other weaker people around us and we fail to look up. We fail to lift our gaze to God. That's essentially what pride is, is turning our back on God, looking inwards and downwards into ourselves, into the world around us and ignoring him and what he's done in our lives. And this pride becomes very boastful. King Nebuchadnezzar boasts about what he's achieved through his mighty power. And maybe this king doesn't sound very familiar to us. The pride he exhibits may seem foreign to you. You know, and I think we can probably all think of people that fit this description. We, so often we could talk about the white male patriarchy that's dominating our society. And we can look down on other people. We, we're trained to think we're very much like a victim culture, that somehow we're all the victims and there's these evil oppressors up there that are causing us all this pain. And so often we fail to see the pride in our own hearts, in our own lives. We look down on other people. We take credit, perhaps in your workplace, where you've been involved in a team project or pairing up with another individual. It's very easy to take the credit for those moments, to withhold encouragement from others, to even in Christian settings, to show off our own holiness, our own achievements, what we feel is worthy of boasting, of bragging about. It's very easy to slip into a puffed up pride. But also you can see a pride which is the opposite of a puffed up pride, a deflated pride. Because pride can take many different forms. Because if pride really is just essentially turning away from God, looking into the idol of self, finding our satisfaction, our sufficiency in ourselves and not needing God, then pride can look like self-pity. Because we, we so often think of pride as the opposite of, of, of humility, but humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's humility is thinking about yourself less. But so often, even self-pity, because it does the same thing, it takes up a position of looking down with our head bowed, feeling horrible about ourselves, feeling loathsome about who we are. It doesn't seem like pride, but it very much is a form of pride, self-pity. Anxiety, fear, worry, in many ways, are all driven by a refusal in our hearts to trust God. They're just pride. We worry because we don't trust God to work things out for us. We don't trust God to come to our needs. We don't trust God to provide for us, to answer our prayers. We don't even pray because we worry and we fear because we're trying to find the answer from within ourselves because that's how we're trained in the world to do it, to find the answer within. But that just leads to more anxiety, more fear, more worry. And really, it's just another form of pride in our lives. And you see in this story of Nebuchadnezzar, the pride before the fall. But then we also see the pride or the, we see the fall after the pride. We see the chaos that's created in his life. Because what happens in this dream that he's had 
Daniel warns him that if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't essentially repent and come back to God, then he's going to, God's going to humble him. And this is what happens. Let me just read one verse. It says, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. It says this, he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now that's never happened to me. I'm sure that's never happened to you. He becomes basically like an animal. But amazingly, you can actually, this story is in secular history that there's a Babylonian king who this happens to. He essentially goes mad and goes and lives out amongst the animals. This is what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the chaos that pride has caused in his life. Because pride, if we're not careful, if we let it take over our lives, will cause a fall. Because what pride will do is, first of all, pride refuses to listen. Nebuchadnezzar was warned by Daniel and a whole year passes and he doesn't listen. He ignores. He puts himself in opposition to God. And a sign perhaps that you're not listening, that your pride has led you to not listen. Is perhaps right now, as I'm talking about pride, you're thinking about somebody else. Which I was cycling yesterday listening to a podcast where someone was talking about the issue of pride. And they were talking about how often we need to come to the end of ourselves. And I was thinking about a friend of mine I know who's in a very hard situation. And I was thinking, I wonder if he's, I think he needs to come to the end of himself. I don't think he's got there yet. I don't think he's really realized the full issue in his life. And I suddenly thought, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm ignoring the pride in my own life. Because I'm, I'm, I'm focusing my attention on someone else and ignoring the prompts of the Holy Spirit to look into my own soul, to identify the pride bursting up within me. Pride causes us to refuse to listen. Pride dehumanizes us. This is what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He, he becomes like an animal. And it's... This him becoming like an animal is a reflection of what pride has done to his heart. That pride means we even can't really bear the image of God anymore. Pride pulls us away from the image of God. It just dehumanizes us, robs us of our humanity, makes us become more like animals than we are like humans made in the image of God. Pride will isolate you. Again, it says Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among men. That this pride, this dehumanizing, therefore can't be relational. Animals aren't relational creatures, at least not in the same way that humans are designed to be. And pride, as it dehumanizes us, will isolate you. And if you think about it, that's very true because... I don't know about you, but I don't like to be around prideful people. When you come across someone who's really arrogant, who just thinks an awful lot of themselves, you think, I don't really want to hang out with you because you just talk about yourself all the time. But that's often what happens, that our pride isolates us because sin, sin is antisocial. Sin builds up walls around us. 
sin, pride will, if you're not careful, will isolate you. It also robs us of any reason. Pride causes us to, to not be able to rationalize. Because again, animals can't rationalize. And as we're dehumanized, as we become more like animals, pride makes us very unreasonable. It tells us that we're the king of all we survey. It tells us that we're godlike in our lives. And it takes Nebuchadnezzar to become like an animal to recognize how human he really is, how he doesn't have all the power and authority, that any power he does have is given to him by God. Because in a sense, what pride will do is it, pride confabulates. By that, I mean, pride creates fables, stories. Pride will trick you into believing things about yourself things about your life which aren't true, or at least they have a kernel of truth, but pride can fact, it blows them up so much bigger than they really are that they end up just becoming like a self delusion. People, psychologists will talk about people who, uh, who become paralyzed, who reach a point in their life where they actually profoundly think that they can walk even though they can't. This is a rare condition, but it happens from time to time. That they'll be in a wheelchair and they'll say, well, I could walk if I wanted to, but I just don't want to. They, they uh, have lost any real idea of what's real in their life. They've created this fable, this story, and we do exactly the same. We create all sorts of stories, illusions about ourselves, about all the achievements we're going to reach in our life. Sometimes we, we create all sorts of stories about how other people are thinking about us all the time. And we worry about what people think about us when the reality is most people are not thinking about us at all, perhaps even ever. But we get so lost in our self-delusions, we so easily forget that. And essentially what pride does is it, is it dethrones and causes destruction. Nebuchadnezzar loses his throne, he loses his power. Everything he's built is destroyed. Because if you notice, the, um, so often we, that proverb, we sanitize it. We say pride comes before a fall, but that's not what the proverb says. The proverb says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And pride can cause destruction in your life. If you let it run wild, can destroy your soul, your well-being. It can lead you into all sorts of horrible scenarios and situations. And what it does in this story and what it often do in our lives is it leads to a deep sense of shame. It's what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. His pride is exposed and everyone sees what he's become like. It's written in history, not just it's written in the Bible, but it's also written in history. Everybody knows about what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. His shame was exposed like perhaps no one's shame has ever really been exposed in human history. But wonderfully, the story doesn't end there because even though he's been exposed, Something really beautiful happens in this story. 
Because actually shame, shame can be redemptive. By that I mean that shame doesn't have to be a negative thing. And we view shame or guilt, uh, those moments when we've become exposed, when we suddenly become aware of our sin, of what we're really like, when other people become aware of what we're really like. It's a huge, shameful embarrassment. And what we do is we attempt to get rid of that by reminding ourselves of our self-worth, of trying to build up our self-esteem. That's how we deal with shame. But shame can be a force for good in your life. Because shame helps us to recognize our rebellion, recognizes what we're really like. We find ourselves exposed before God, maybe before other people. But what it leads us to do is to turn to him. Shame, truly redemptive shame, will lead you to Jesus. It will humble you. And what humility does is where pride brings chaos in our lives, humility brings a wonderful order. We reorder our lives in submission to God. Humbly set our life before him and say, have your will. And that humility begins to reorder our life. And amazingly, what Jesus does is he takes that shame from us and he takes it upon himself. He frees us from this shame. And what God can do in your life, perhaps you're feeling humbled right now. Perhaps you've suddenly become aware of the pride in your life. Where perhaps you're feeling ashamed. God can restore you. Because this is what happens for Nebuchadnezzar, is he turns his eyes to God, he worships him. And then it says this, at the same time, my reason returns to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returns to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. What God can do through his redemptive power is take even the most shameful, embarrassing things of your life and can redeem all of it and can even go so far as to add more greatness to you. you Nebuchadnezzar, imagine, this is a, imagine if uh, this happened in, in the UK, a leading you know, a, a politician or a, a celebrity, if they went literally mad, they went completely bonkers. They wouldn't be restored back into public life, into any position of leadership or influence. And yet that's what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. So he gets his throne back. More than that, more greatness is added to him. Only the grace of God can do that. Only the grace of God can take all the shame in your life, the mess you've made of your life, and can redeem all of it. And put you back into his plan, his purposes and add more to your life. Not greatness to puff you up, but a greatness of God that sings worship and praise to him. Let me pray and then I'll hand back over to Tim. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your wonderful redemptive power. We thank you, Jesus, that you took all our shame and guilt you took it on the cross for us, that you died for us, that you once and for all dealt with our pride. 
and you've worked out a wonderful redemption plan for us that you've forgiven us, that you can help us even today to walk free from pride. And even shame itself can be a wonderful redemptive thing that can lead our hearts back, that can reorder our lives and help to point our souls back towards our wonderful saviour. Thank you, God, for who you are, your wonderful love for us. Amen.